Hi there, I'm Andrew Looney from Looney Labs, and you are listening to Legends of Tabletop. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Hey everybody. This is episode number 80 of the Legends of Tabletop podcast. Uh, thanks everybody for checking it out. Uh, so we have Andrew Andrew Looney here today. We're at RenCon, the gaming festival here in Tucson. So I've uh, been out playing some games and lucky enough to have uh, run into Andy and get him on the show. So thanks for, uh, for sitting down with me. My pleasure. It's always fun to be on people's podcasts. All right. This is a little weird for me because we're actually doing this in person and you guys know we normally do this on Google. So uh, it's a little weird, but we're going to get it figured out. <laughs> <laughs> Seems normal enough to me. All, All right. right. So you're not originally a game designer. You were actually uh, worked at NASA. That is true. I was a NASA programmer for about eight years, and I followed in my father's footsteps, actually. He worked at NASA for, oh, 50-some years and finally retired just a couple years ago. Um, yeah, I love NASA. Looms large in my history. That's where I met my wife, and uh, I don't think I'd be where I was today for, for my NASA career. But those days are long gone at this point, <laughs> Yep. All right. Uh, were you an avid gamer while you were working at NASA? Or? Oh, I've been an avid gamer all my life. Yeah, I, ever since learning games at my my mother's knee, as it were, I've been uh, into the games. Oh, how did you come to find yourself designing game games? From being a you know working at NASA to be like, ah, I think maybe I want to design games. Uh, it was entirely accidental and unexpected. I, I, I in college I had a kind of long-term life plan of, of pursuing programming and, 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 and um, building up money and so forth while I also developed my craft as a writer. And then uh, I wrote a short story in which I described an imaginary game played with pyramids called Ice House, and that led to people wanting to learn the game, and there was no game. So I, I, my, another friend of mine was actually uh, John Cooper, actually was the first one to make a game based on my descriptions. But that was what got me started after the various other things led to, uh, led to the development of Flux, my biggest hit, mm-hmm. and uh, there was no looking back after that. Okay. Do you still write at all? Um, not, not like that, yeah. I mean, a little bit here and there, but I, I dream someday of getting back to my, my writer dreams but it's hard to find time for it and I do a lot of writing of, of you know technical material rules for games yeah, yeah. and there's sometimes there's some some fiction type of content in there but it tends to be a lot more dry and technical now than the stuff I dreamed of writing and that I thought I was good at back then but I haven't I then haven't spent those years developing my craft instead of I sidetracked into, into games and that's what I do mm-hmm. It reminds me, Ice House, it reminds me a little bit of uh, author Charles DeLint. Uh He's an urban fantasy writer. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a, uh, a um, almost like a tarot system called the Wittershins oh. in his novels. And people would ask, you know, write to him and say, hey, you know, can I get a copy of this? How does this work or whatever? So I think he's actually in the process of creating 
Wittershins for sale if, if that's, it's not already done. Yeah, well, and and that's uh, it's it's there's another great story like that, which is uh, we did. James Ernest is here too, and he has designed a version of of the game Tack that was described in Patrick Rothfuss' book. And same thing. It's like a lot of people want to play that game, and now they'll be able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cool. That's very cool. Uh, so you mentioned Flux a little earlier. That's, that's the biggest. It's like the bedrock on which Looney Lab stands. Yeah, it sure is. Flux is ninety percent of our business. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's it. All my other game designs are jealous of Flux. <laughs> <laughs> how did so how did the how did the idea for that first come up? Like we just like a. Are you a card gamer? Like, what was well, the- again, the, to go back to the Ice House thing, the pyramid system was um, what got us started. But for years, we were trying to figure out how to mass produce these these little pyramids, and the reality was, it would it, we needed to invest ten thousand dollars in the mold necessary to make them. And at the time, we couldn't afford that, and we couldn't figure it out, and we're trying to find some other ways to do it. And and Kristen, my wife and business partner, was was feeling frustrated by this one day and said, I wish you'd design a card game. I could get a card game made real easy. These pyramids are killing me, but cards, you know, those aren't so bad. And so I thought about it, and the next day I invented Flux. Just like that. Just like that. Popped out in my mind, almost fully formed. I have a, an essay, I still can find an, a memo I wrote that described like the core ideas of the game, and they're still true now. Huh. Um, so yeah, Flux... Where did it come from, though? In a lot of ways, uh, I think the biggest influence was a, a sort of a, a concept game called Nomic. N-O-M-I-C. Have you ever heard of that? Sounds vaguely familiar. Well, Nomic is a game of making up a game. So it's basically there is no game when you start. It's a game that is you know the players decide what the game will be as they play it, and it's very sort of theoretical. And I remember getting into it enough to try to play it a couple times long ago, obviously. And it always fell apart after people would sort of propose a bunch of rules, but it never seemed to coalesce into anything because it, the, the sandbox was just too big. Right, right. You could make anything. You could make any rule. There's, there's so little structure that it's, it's not enough. At least it wasn't for us. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, people, people like the idea of a game where you can change the rules, mm-hmm. but I've got to structure that and limit that in certain ways. So, okay, you can change the rules, but only in these ways that I've already figured out, these rule cards that have been tested that say oh, these things will work, and that seems to have been a big success for us. Cool. And uh, when uh, Zombie Flux came out, that's the first time you had the addition of the Creeper cards? The Creeper, yeah. The, the Creepers were created for Zombie Flux because... Um, yeah, we were. I kept getting people saying, "Oh, zombies are very popular. You should add. You should do a zombie version of the game." Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> how am I supposed to make that work though? Because nobody wants a zombie. Zombies are not keepers. Right. Uh, I remember even trying a version where it was like zombie keeper. It just didn't make any sense. <laughs> and so I, I, and, and at some point I, I just had the breakthrough. Of what if I added a new kind of card? You know. Uh, hey, I can do that. It's the game about change. I can change it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And has that followed all the way through in this later latest iteration then of Flux? Are there creepers in all the cartons? Not every version. Um, I put in creepers when it makes sense to put in creepers. Okay. When the subject matter has things that are problems that it would make sense to have a creeper, I put it in. But I don't like to have creepers in every version. Not everybody likes creepers. They add another dimension 
of you know sometimes it's hard to figure out how to get rid of it and they're frustrating and mm -hmm. and and when you're a new player you're trying to get your brain around the other four kind of cards creepers are just that much trouble but at the same time most versions do have it because most subject matter does have some negative thing that uh, you want to deal with in that way cool I, this is completely sort of off, off topic but conversation that I was having earlier today uh, how do you feel about like you know pande pandemic pandemic legacy you know games where you know you're gonna drop a nice chunk of change and be able to play it 12 20 times and um, I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, I think that if you play a game 20 times, you've probably gotten your value out of the experience. And I would compare that to... I mean, the thing is, we have such a weird... Set, we, you know, people in, in general, have such a weird sense of, of value of things sometimes. It's like, you know, you'll, you'll drop 50 bucks or whatever on, on an expensive meal... And you won't think anything of it because that's the way it works. Sure. But, oh, my God, $20 for a game. And, oh, I don't know. Jeez, you know. Mm -hmm. You go to a movie and it's it's X hours of entertainment for X dollars. And the economies of scale just don't match out at all. Um, video games are another one. You might, you know, spend X dollars for a video game. You play it X hours. You get to the end. You don't think, gee, uh, there should be more reusability here. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's a problem at all, um, personally. Okay. Yeah, it's just an interesting question. I know when I was younger, you know, looking at purchasing an RPG book, I'm like, oh, man, 50 bucks, 60 bucks. Yeah. But now, you know, I buy that book. I have that book forever. I can play that game forever. So it's such a worthwhile investment, you know, even at a high, higher dollar value. Yeah. Well, and it is it is kind of a weird new genre, the, the game you kind of, destroy as you play it and it's not you know it, yeah I don't know okay it, it seems to be working for people I, I haven't actually played Legacy uh, Pandemic yet but I played R Risk Legacy and I thought it was pretty amazing so plays the same way it's the same yeah same sort of concept things that you write things on it or you know they get burned in, in in various ways and for people that collect a lot of games you may have so many games that you only play a game once or twice a year. So with a game like that... Even exactly, sort of yeah, exactly. Style, I mean, with all the other things pulling our attention away, mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you, if you can... The idea that you might only play it 20 times, there's a lot of games I might never play 20 times, yeah. you know? <laughs> Especially me, as a game designer, I don't. I, I, I need to spend most of my time playing my own games. I tend to play other games enough to sort of see what's interesting about them or what lessons they have, might have, offer me, but I don't really play any game more than a few times, sure. except my own. But I'm atypical, right. obviously. What are you playing these days? Oh, my own games! Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> quite quite frankly, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, um, what was the last game? Or... or I, I play my own games. I play my friend, you know, game designers, mm -hmm. their games. I mean, I was playtesting some uh, thing that James Ernest and Joe Kissingweather were coming up with earlier today. That's uh, that's new, but um, I don't know. Code names, Spyfall. Those are a couple of things I've been into lately. Okay, and and when you do get a chance to play other games, you kind of you know sort of like, oh, I like that mechanic. Sort of file that away in the back of your head, and like maybe I can use that somewhere else. Do you get to? Play and enjoy it, or when you play, are you like, hmm? Are you analyzing? Yeah, it? I, try, I don't. I, playing to enjoy is hard. You know, I don't. 
I'm, if I'm looking at something new, it's always with a with an eye to you know how does this work? Why did why does it work this way? What's good about this game? Why are other people interested in this game? You know, it, it's hard to to just be in the moment of a game these days for me when when it's my job. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it seems like a lot of the games in the Looney Lab stable are kind of quirky and quick and you know a little on the off kilter side. Is that intentional? Is that kind of like an overall sort of design strategy? Well, I design most of my games with the audience of myself in mind. I design games that I want to play, mm -hmm. and I, I, the games I design are the style of games I like. So, what you describe, quirky. Fast, zany little games. That's what I like. So that's that's what I make. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I I like games that are unpredictable and, and chaotic, and uh, I I like games that are are high on tactical, and 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 uh, the, the the strategies kind of play themselves out. And in, in, in you know it's but flux is the 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 perfect tactical game. It's long-term strategies are hard to work out. It's all about maximizing my current current situation and hoping that I can then use that to win in, in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I like. And, and talking about um, tactile, you have a big pyramid game set up downstairs in the lobby. Is that uh, an extension of Ice House? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, uh, the, the pyramid game system, the, uh, the latest version of which is about to hit stores called Pyramid Arcade. And that uses our beautiful little pyramid game pieces that I was talking about before that mm -hmm. launched our whole deal. Um, that I've been continuing to make games over the years for those, and the the giant ones that we're playing in the lobby are just a, an oversized novelty version of the game. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's fun because um, one of the one of the games, uh, one of the best games is, is um, Ice Towers, which is a high speed turnless game. Mm -hmm. And so when you play that on a big room scale, it's basically a sport. Because you're running around the room, I got to get over there and, and in physical and physical space in real time, I have to go over and move that piece. And if the other guy gets there first, I lose. <laughs> so it, it really is like a sport. Interesting. I have to check that out if you're. It's pretty it neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as far as Kickstarter goes, um, you know, it, it's sort of the new paradigm. It seems like for. You know, people bringing a brand new game to the market, you know, unknown people. But you have, you know, uh, companies like Tasty Minstrel and Chaosium RPGs and things. How do you feel about uh, Kickstarter as, you know, sort of this new paradigm for, for board games? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, on the one hand, I think it's an incredible, wonderful boon for the industry. It's gotten a, it's allowed a lot of publishers and game inventors to... to have a new way of of getting their 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 dreams realized. On the other hand, it's it's uh, it's it's created such a boom of new games that it's 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 making an already crowded marketplace overwhelmingly crowded. There's so many games coming out so rapidly. I mean, there's you know. Every day, every week, there's so many new games coming out that how do you even look at them? And then here's next week's load of games. And when when the barriers to entry were higher, when when you know you needed to get your game you know published through a company, you had to persuade a lot of other people that it was worthwhile and so forth. Now, kind of anybody can can throw their hat into the ring 
So that's exciting, but it's also it's 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 flooding the marketplace with a lot of things, and some of them I'm sure are great and, and brilliant and uh, innovative in their way, but I, I think there's a lot of other dreck out there that's getting published, and and um, it's hard for the consumer to necessarily know the difference when there's so many things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's it's a double-edged sword in some ways, but you know. It's 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 an amazing tool. Uh, I, I I think it's it's it, overall I think it's wonderful. Okay, is that something you maybe see Looney Labs, you know, having something up on Kickstarter or is that? Something? Oh well, we 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 did a Kickstarter for the Pyramid Arcade set. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, but that was pretty unusual. Um, had we if if Kickstarter had existed twenty years ago when we were first trying to get going, oh my God, we we used it <laughs> like thing that like crazy. But now. We kind of don't need to be kickstarted. We're already started. We've been in business for 20 years. Sure, sure. So most of the products we release, we just go ahead and, and publish it through the normal system that we've been using. But with something like Pyramid Arcade, but because it was such a gigantic undertaking, because there was so much involved in that product, we really wanted to, to take advantage of the Kickstarter machine, not because we needed to get the funding that way particularly, although it was a, a bigger job than anything we've ever made and so the funding was bigger, but more for anything else because of the marketing. The, the, the ability to, to, to get a whole lot of eyeballs on what you're doing with this short-term exciting Kickstarter thing. There's a lot of people who now, that's Kickstarter's how they know about games and they're finding out about things and there's a whole avenue of, of exposure that that gets you. And just the hype and, and excitement that that builds, and for our campaign, we we were doing a new video every day, mm. so there was, you know, we were really, you know, kind of promoting it with, a, a, you know, come back and see the next video because the Pyramid Arcade set has 22 separate games in it, and so every day, um, well, there were a few others who were sort of history of the system and a, and a couple other videos, but 22 of those 30 days were. A sample game of of that of you know a video of a sample game from the system. So as you were watching it, here's a game, here's another game, here's another game, and that I think that worked really well for us. But I don't think we're going to be. It's not like we're going to suddenly do lots of Kickstarters. That sure. that was that was fairly unusual, and um, I don't know when we will do another one. And how was your experience overall? Because Kickstarter is like its whole own beast. It's just yeah. A, marketing machine well and that's exactly why as I say we decided to get in on it for this one project it, it's been very good for us yeah I mean I don't um, we're, we're just now getting to the delivery mode delivery point the um, the the ship with our cargo con- our shipping containers with our our, our, our games has has just arrived cool. and it's it's on its way now to the to our facility to be packaged and shipped out to our backers and so very soon we'll be doing the big fulfillment, and hopefully everyone will say it's great; they love it. But you know, um, you, you certainly hear about the the, the 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 complaining backers who you know are, are fussy about this or that. And I don't think that I'll have any trouble with those because we're delivering a solid product. But I think for a, a lot of the the companies that start with, hey, we're going to do a Kickstarter, and then they realize mm, this is harder than we thought, <laughs> yeah. and if you run into any problems, I think some of the backers can be pretty intolerant of, of uh, delays or, or failures to deliver. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's so many projects out there that fail and <laughs> don't deliver or are late that, you know, yeah. 
I think they also have to expect that. Oh yeah, we, we live in a very in the moment society. Like exactly, I, I gave you my money, I want it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, in, in a instant lot of gratification yeah. expected. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of instances, I think games are more or less complete. Like maybe they're waiting for art, or you know, it's got you know, obviously has to go to the printer. Um, you know, so I think in those instances, you know, they'll say on the Kickstarter, like, "Hey, I'm ready to go. I just need money." Mm-hmm. Eh, usually, you get those a little bit early. At least you're going to get them on time. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're if it's vague and like I don't know, like I'm trying to do a thing and mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be ready mm-hmm. now. Like I don't, maybe you don't want to back that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, and for us, we were very much like we're basically for us. The, one of the things about the Kickstarter was the key question of how many copies of our game do we order? I mean, we know that it's ready to go. We got all the files ready, and as soon as we are. You know, as soon as we're done with the campaign, we're going to place the order. Mm-hmm. But do we get 5,000, 10,000 units, 20,000 units? How many orders we get up front with the Kickstarter will help us make that decision. Sure. Now, we're, we're sitting here at RingCon today. Do you find that you're out and about to a lot of different conventions over the course of the year? Oh, I travel all the time. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, lots of conventions, trade shows just for the industry, small conventions like this one, giant conventions like Gen Con, mm-hmm. everything in between. Um, I especially, I'm a, I, a special guest at this convention. So, whenever whenever they give us guest of honor treatment, it's it's uh, it's very hard to say no to that. But even without that, there's a lot of conventions and events we go to, and um, yeah, I travel a lot. Okay, that's cool. And and a smaller convention like this one's nice as opposed to Gen Con because interview notwithstanding, you know, uh, you guys are a lot more available. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, there's. I, I don't know what their uh, attendance is going to be for the weekend, but, you know, it's not Gen Con attendance. Of course not. Yeah, it's orders of magnitude smaller, and it's much more friendly, intimate, and enjoyable in a lot of ways. Yeah, Gen Con's fun, but it's also just, you know, a mob scene and a circus of just so many people. I mean, mm-hmm. what, 50,000 people or something like that. It's just, I think it's, it's like 60 or something. Yeah, it's getting bigger every year. Yeah. So it's just overwhelming. So you come to something like this, and it's it's really just friendly and enjoyable and hanging out. And, I get to see industry friends and make new friends, and it's just a lot of fun. I went to Necronomicon last year with my uh, my friend, my co-host Vince, and it was nice. It had like two thousand people for the whole weekend. Everybody, yeah, that's a nice size. Super approachable. Yeah. yeah. You know, we talked to Ken Height. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a great Adam guy. Adam Scott Clancy, and, mm-hmm. and Oscar, we went up at a hotel party with Oscar Rios in his room. I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. This is kind of <laughs> weird. You know, everybody was really nice and really approachable. You know, the, these things are a lot more fun. I, I did PAX, and, you know, it was fun. We played some games, but it, yeah, it's PAX is another different. gigantic and overwhelming event. PAX is weird because it's more about video games than, than tabletop true. games. Yeah. So you always feel like most of it's this giant video game crowd, and then over here we're playing tabletop games and having You're a fun right. time, you know. There's like 12 of us over here. <laughs> it kind of feels like, yeah, we're the, we're the second-class citizens, but not really. I mean, it's not, not like that, but... We're just uh, not the main event, if you will. Yeah. Whereas you go to Gen Con and it's all about tabletop. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, for sure. Are you speaking of Gen Con and art, you know RPGs and all sorts of video games? Are you video game player, RPG player? Have you ever gotten into those aspects of, of gaming? I've I'm, I've certainly uh, dabbled in in both of those. Um, I wrote a video game back in the '90s called Icebreaker which came out for the 3DO game system, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, 
a set-top box system that came out just before the PlayStation and was crushed by that. <laughs> but I was hired by a company. Back this was when I was still doing programming. I was hired as a, a game programmer and ended up designing a game that, that I programmed and that actually came out, and that helped really um, get my, my game design career going and in a lot more than more important than any ways helping me understand myself that I could do it. Mm-hmm. But... It also made me decide that I don't want to do computer games. I, tabletop games, I can create it all my own, you know, just me and I put it together on the computer and, and make it in my basement, basically. Sure. Whereas, it, you know, you need to have so many other things to make a, a video game. You got to have animators and music and just, you know, it's, it's so much more of a production. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have never really looked back at video games from a production standpoint. I certainly play them every now and then, but even there, I, I'm, I'm much more of a tabletop guy. As for RPGs, again, certainly dabbled with them. I, you know, I played D and D and all those things when they first came out. I mean, I, I think I played. In a, I'm pretty sure I played a friend's game the first time I played with with the original white boxes of D and D, but when I first got my own, it was the uh, you know the A D and D books, you know, that the original three were the. the the gold books of the gold standard of, of that in those days and, and yeah, I played it a bunch but um, well with one exception I have written several parsley games which are kind of actually they're a delightful convergence of the two subjects we're talking about do you know what a parsley game is mm-hmm. well parsley spelled p-a-r-s-e-l-y parser parsley um, is a game system created by uh, Jared Sorensen, and his company is Memento Mori Publications, and the idea of that is it's an 80s text adventure game played without a computer, hmm. played with a GM who represents the computer, and then all the people in the room are the player collectively. So the player will say, you know, go north, take axe, kill dwarf, you know, whatever. And but each player in the game, you know, we take turns deciding. Okay, now it's your turn. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And so it's this wonderful group think collective experience of going through the, uh, the, 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 the 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 text adventure style games, and they're just a heck of a lot of fun. I've written four of those, and I actually ran one of those here this week called Muffins, and everybody had a great time with it. It's it's a, it's a lot more fun in a lot of ways than those text adventures would be because even though you might have the same sort of difficult puzzle of figuring out how do I get the computer to give me the key necessary to do the thing or whatever sure. uh, i got to figure out how to give, find the grapefruit to give to the wizard I don't know whatever <laughs> it is in, in the vacuum of a classic text adventure you'd just be like you in the computer and you, you type and you can't figure it out you're bashing your head against the screen you eventually give up but in the, in the, the, the more party setting of a parsley game you have you have player synergy and you can sort of share ideas and mm-hmm. you know it's it's okay to, to sort of whisper hey do this and like oh great I'll <laughs> stab dwarf whatever it is right. so they're just they're just a lot of fun I really enjoy those so parsley games the the original one is Action Castle look for that I've written like I say four of them but I am not publishing them they are uh, I reserve them as part of my my live act if you will they're okay. they're they're things I run at conventions, mm-hmm. and because of the nature of, you know, once you play it, then you learn all the secrets, sure. so I don't really want to publish it, so, 
parsley games are a lot of fun, and they are the closest thing I get to an RPG that I've written myself. But I've certainly played them. Oh, I used to also... Oh, jeez. Um, I was one... Back in the, uh, in the 80s, I was one of the, the earliest writers of what we call LARPing now. In, okay. in the old days, we called it interactive literature. And uh, we used to run these games at conventions for 50 or 100 people. And, and that's really where I cut my teeth in a lot of ways on uh, writing games and, and creating things for groups. And those were role-playing games on a LARPing scale. Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of LARP, a lot of RPG experience, but not something I really use much re re these days in my job. Hmm. Okay. All right. I, I'm more of a board game or uh, RPG guy than I am a board game guy. Hmm? With the podcast, is something more that I'm getting into now with with board games. I think I picked up like three games this weekend so hmm? far. There you go. <laughs> so I, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and the and the social aspect, like you were talking about with the other games, just to be together in a room and like hey you know we can do this we can do that it's just it's such a cool experience yeah just to be yeah, together yeah. doing a thing and you're playing a video game you know if you're playing you know rainbow six or whatever you're just screaming at the other guy yeah yeah that's i i computer games are great and and they they provide a, a very different kind of experience that you can't really simulate but at the same time in my opinion, there's no substitute for actually sitting around a table with your friends in real life, in real space, and playing a game with real components. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is weird now because because of the podcast, we do a lot of stuff by Google Hangout. Yeah. Uh, so we have a Fear Itself campaign that we're running right now, and, and it's just all theater of the mind. You know, we're all Yo, I, Google. I would think RPGs would be pretty effective over Google Hangout and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But tabletop games, and, and it's getting better all the time. Yeah. And in fact, there's a lot of a lot of tabletop games that are, are in some ways better to be played on, on a tablet or something like that because it manages all of the, the little chits and the bits and so bits, forth yeah. for you. <laughs> but the kind of games I like, things like the Ice House system with mm -hmm. the pyramids, they have a tactile joy right, right. that you just can't get in a computer. Well, that's one of the things with a board game, right? So you, you open up that box and you start pulling yeah. out all that card. The actual components, yeah. You just, start shuffling the cards. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just not the same with digital. Mm -hmm. and, but I guess Steam is doing a good job now. They have their table, tabletop simulator. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's getting better and better. Yeah. But I still don't think it's ever going to, like I say, tactile joy. Mm -hmm. You won't be able to create that. On a screen. Yep, and that's one. That's one thing. I got a chance to play Splendor uh, a couple of weeks, a month ago, and the and the chips for that are like the yeah, they're like those poker chips. Yeah. Oh my god, those it's are a, nice. It's amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm I'm tempted to get it just for the chips, <laughs> just for, just for that tactile uh -huh. sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The game's okay. It's enjoyable, but man, it's just so cool. <laughs> Absolutely, tactile joy. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I guess, so we have a thing at the end called the final five. We have okay. five geeky, nerdy questions. All right. Kind of start to wrap this up. This it's like uh, like the old five. Daily Show, five questions. Mm -hmm. The old Daily Show before Jon Stewart, yeah. five questions. Craig uh, Craig Kilborn had five questions. It's five random questions. I always thought that was hilarious. See, I thought it was something we came up with something new and fresh. <laughs> so I'm disappointed now. Oh, I'm sorry to pop, pop your bubble. Well, but yours is a little bit different because it's geeky. His was always just kind of weird. I, I Just to share, though, one of my favorite things from that long ago was a good example of what his thing was like. He was talking to Bill Murray, and one of the questions was, who left the cake out in the rain? And the answer, of course, is someone. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's the line from MacArthur Park. Someone <laughs> left the cake out in the rain. All right, so what are your five questions for me? All right, the first one is Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Okay, I had a feeling. Oh, Star Trek <laughs> all the way. And don't get started with those reboots. I hate the reboots. Oh, Original really? Star Trek series, well, and Next Generation, all the other ones, but I hate the reboots. Hmm, okay. See, I grew up watching the originals with my dad. I like the new ones. It, it's very specific. It is what it is, right? You're getting an action movie. That yeah, I, I, I have a lot of things that are okay. It's the scripts to me. They're just... It, I don't. Don't get me started. <laughs> if you want, if you want, if you really want to hear what I think of the uh, the the reboots, I wrote an extensive essay on how much I hated the first one at my website, Wonderland.com. Why I hated the Star Trek movie. And do you prefer Star Trek because it's more hard science, being you know NASA engineers, opposed to Star Wars, or? Yeah, well, I think in a lot of ways, what it comes down to me is that I enjoy stories with a bit more nuance than. St- Straight up, bad guys versus good guys. You know, heroes and villains are just like, I'm the bad guy. I'm wearing a black hat and dressed in black, and I'm here to kill you. And it's just, you know, I, I enjoy... Whereas in Star Trek, it's much more like, you know, we're just people out having a mission. And yeah, okay, there's some... The Klingons are bad or whatever. But it's... I don't know. I just find it more interesting. The stories are just, just more compelling to me. I mean, and I'm not... I don't want to diss Star Wars. I mean, I, I saw Star Wars in the theater when it first came out. Five or six times, and, and I've been a fan of that all along. But Star Trek is way better. Okay. Yeah, for, me, for me, for <laughs> me. Uh, sci-fi or fantasy? Sci-fi. Again, Again I, you know, I enjoy sci- I enjoy fantasy. I've certainly uh, immersed myself in, in plenty of fantasy worlds, but, uh, you know, I'm a science fiction guy. Okay. DC or Marvel? Marvel. Yeah, okay. Marvel. Um uh, you know, and there are two. I would say uh, DC tends to be more sort of this, this, the, the clear-cut, I'm a bad guy, I'm a good guy, I'm, I'm Superman, I'm a hero, I'm, you know, the bad guy, I'm, the, you know, the Joker, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas Marvel has much more characters who are superhero, but they've got flaws, and they've got problems, they've got, you know, shades of gray amongst, sure. amongst the, 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 the black and white of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man being a good example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah. Or the Fantastic Four, you know. Uh, and I would also point out that my favorite character in any superhero universe is, a, it's a weird one, Galactus. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I don't know, I just, I like him, him and his Silver Surfer, and I just, I think that was one of the most interesting stories from way back when. But I, 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 don't know, I like Galactus. How do you feel like they're doing with the Marvel movies? True enough to the comics that it's... Well, I, just to, just to hone in on that specific one, I refused to even see the Fantastic Four movie with the Silver Surfer because I'd heard in advance they'd sort of written Galactus out. How dare they? So, aside from that, though, um, and, I, and frankly, all of the Fantastic Four movies are terrible, and I don't know if they're really quite the Marvel studio. I, I don't know, there's some weirdness there. But um, certainly all the other ones, like I really enjoyed uh, you know, Civil War and a lot of the other ones. The Thor movies, I think, were probably my favorite. Ant-Man was great. Um, I think they're doing a great job, yeah. I didn't see Ant-Man. I was like, yeah. Oh, it was fun. It was I good? liked it, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that Guardians of the Galaxy is really good. Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, might be the best, actually, in a lot of ways. Really? Oh, I thought it was great. See, everybody says it. I guess Did I you really, see it? I, no. So, when my ex was still living at home, she was watching it one night, and I was in the room, but I was doing something else. 
And I just listened to it. Man, this seems like a really stupid movie. She's like, no, it's really good. So whenever I have people on and we're talking about Marvel, I always ask, and they're like, no, it's great. And I'm like, all right, I really have to like DVR this thing and watch it. Yeah. It you, didn't seem like it. Yeah, you know, the thing is, expectations are really, uh, uh, they make or break everything. I mean, if you expect it to be good and then it doesn't live up to your expectations, it can be so disappointing. Yeah. And if you... Don't expect it, it to be good, and you like it. It can be amazing, and I think there may be some of that. I think that when when Guardians came out, people were like, "What is this?" And then mm-hmm. and so they, they came in with low expectations, and they were amazed. Right. And whereas you expect, you know, Captain America and some of these things to be be great, and so the the expectation is 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 there, and I think they've been living up to it. But I think that's why Guardians was so popular. It just came out of left field. Yeah. We'll see how the sequel does. Because right. by then, the, the expectations are back up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I enjoyed it. But to me, I enjoyed it because I like the characters, like like the Rocket Raccoon guy and Groot. You know, they're just funny guys. It's, I liked it. It was, it was enjoyable. All right. Tabletop or video games? <laughs> Again, tabletop. See, these are bad. I That's so obvious to me. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm a tabletop game designer. I, you know... Right. Okay, I should have got the other <laughs> list of questions. Well, you know, you could you could hit me again with it, but uh, was that the last one? Or was it was no, four. Uh, one, one more. more. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? The ability to travel through time. Okay. Would it be like the weird thing where, like, if you stepped on the butterfly, it changes the whole world, or like you're there and can't interact? Oh, if I, I well, like, time travel is one of my favorite subjects, and I've thought about it a lot. I. If I really had the ability to, to, to do it myself, of course, I'd want to be able to, to, to affect changes. I mean, that's what the, the joy of it would be. Yeah. Um, in, a re, in a practical sense, I think that would be a terrible thing to have, obviously. And, um, you know, people say, oh, the proof that time travel can never exist is that if, if it were possible, time travelers would come back and visit us now, right? Well, who's to say they aren't? Mm-hmm. Because what if... <clears throat> Excuse me. What if the, the model of time travel that actually works is one in which the past is fixed, nothing can be changed, but time travelers can journey back and look at things? For all we know, this room is filled with time travelers because this interview is super important in the future somehow, and time travelers want to come back and look at the moment when you interviewed me, and they could be here in this room watching us in a way that we're completely unaware of. And if that type of time travel existed, it would be incredible. We could go back in time and see what really happened. You know, learn about things that we're currently only able to speculate at or dig through archaeological records or whatever. Sure. That type of time travel would be incredible. Um, do I think it's possible? No. <laughs> but I'd sure love it to be. That'd be interesting, right? It'd be a good way to explain, you know, apparitions, ghosts, things. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Oh, it was a time traveler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so maybe they, they can affect things ever so slightly, but you know, we don't perceive them except ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the, uh, the 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 series Heroes had Hero, my favorite character, who could travel through time and stop time. The which is, I'd like to have that whole combo. Yeah. Because yeah. the ability to to fully command time, because that would be the best too. It's just the kind of a stopwatch effect of just pause reality and do what I want and then start it again. There was an old movie, that, I don't know if it was made for TV movie, The Girl, The Gold Watch and everything. And the watch had the ability to stop time. 
I don't remember the anything. The girl, so the gold watch, and everything. I'm pretty sure that's I've what never it was. heard of that. Yeah, I was um, like eight when it came out. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, I referenced it by title. There's a, a, a famous Twilight Zone episode called A Kind of a Stopwatch, mm-hmm. which he has a, the ability to freeze time with that. But that comes out in 1964, I guess. I think I currently have every episode but one on my DVR right now. Which one? Uh, <laughs> it's probably a current occurrence at Owl, Owl oh, yeah. Bridge, because I don't think that was ever That was not a real Twilight Zone, correct. Yeah. Yeah, that was an existing film that they they just bought and turned it and broadcast as a Twilight Zone as a way of, of, of uh, saving money at the end of the season, mm-hmm. the last season, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Twilight Zone is my favorite TV show. I also grew up watching that with my dad, and I love that show. Yeah, Twilight Zone is the best. I absolutely love it. And Rod Serling is is kind of my biggest hero in a lot of ways. Um, he was a writer who then sort of became known as such, even became the face of what he was doing. And uh, I just I just really just admire his uh, his incredible imagination. And uh, it's a shame he died young. Yeah, the only thing that sucks when like if I if I binge watch a handful in a row, it's kind of easy to figure out where things are going. <laughs> you pick up the beats. And yeah. Like, by the time you hit to the fourth one, you're like, all right, I probably should have stopped this after the third one. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Twilight Zones. A lot of times, it's stretched out to 30 minutes even then because it's like it's really all about that punchline joke and if you see it coming it's like yeah all right yeah, yeah. but still you know i love that kind of thing yeah. and and they're fun too because they're they're great to watch a second time because like a lot of things it's a different story when you know what the twist is mm-hmm. and so it's neat to watch it the first time where you don't know what's going on then the second time when you oh this is ah, i get it even my daughter knows some of the episodes by name now. Huh? She'll watch them every once in a while on her own, or she'll watch them while I'm watching them. She'll be like, oh, is this the one with the, you know, the thing or whatever? Uh, I'm like, uh, that's the one. This is the, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that name. So that's cool for me. What What is your favorite episode? Oh, man, there's so many. Um, I, maybe Eye of the Beholder. Eye of the Beholder, maybe uh, excellent. 20,000 yep. Feet. Yep, great ones. Um, uh, time Enough at Last. Mm-hmm. There's just so many. Yep, yep. And you know, and you know those ones by name. I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is called a world of difference, but my brother and I refer to it usually just by the handle cut. <laughs> oh, I didn't remember that one. <laughs> oh, what's the matter? Can't, can't you make a simple phone call? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know the one I mean. Yep. 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 Love that one. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that to me is like the the the, the quintessential zone because it's. Just this ordinary guy, and then this weird thing happens to him, and uh, sticks shifted out of reality in this weird way. Mm -hmm. Twilight Zone: Weird things happen to ordinary people. (laughs) That's the whole shtick. So many good episodes. Or just William Shatner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's only in two, but he's pretty memorable. Is he only in two? Yeah, Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet and Nick of Time. Huh. Seems like he was in so many more. (laughs) Well. That guy gets around, but no, it's only in two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to give everyone the details where they can find Looney Labs, find your blog, any of that kind of stuff? LooneyLabs.com, L-O-O-N-E-Y-L-A-B-S.com. Uh, my personal blog is Wonderland.com, spelled with a U, W-U-N-D-E-R-L-E-N-D, Wonderland.com. Awesome. Thanks, sir. I want to thank you for coming on and spending some my time. My pleasure. It's a late night for you. Whatever. No problem. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure talking to you. Awesome. Thank you very much, sir. Cool. All right. Great. Bye now. 
This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.